Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, I actually have seen all of you so many times, and uh, because I'm always running around here moving cables and talking to Austin and talking to Jack about last-minute changes because I forgot all the chords and words to sing, I never get to introduce myself and say hello, but my name's John. Uh, this is my beautiful wife, Chelsea, right here. Hello, everyone. Um, this morning, I'm going to be uh, giving a little bit of my testimony, well, a little bit of my story, which is really a testimony of the Lord's faithfulness. Um, if it's okay with you guys, I'd like to um, take a few minutes to walk through that story, and then we'll talk about the faithfulness of the Lord uh, towards the end of it and, and a couple of bits throughout there. Um, as many of you know, if you know us closely, you know Chelsea and I were walking through the the beautiful part of adoption, a beautiful path to adoption, and yes, thank you. We're very excited. Um, uh, I'll, I, I'll get into a little bit of that uh, down the line, but part of the process for adoption, at the very end, which we just got to uh, about two weeks ago, a lady comes to our house, and we rediscuss and rehash out the 70 pages worth of documents um, that we have written down about our lives. And I love this lady that came. She's very good. Kind of like a little mini therapy session we had going on, okay? I was crying. Um, you know, you have these things in your life, and we, I get to talk with my hands. <laughs> we, I always talk with my hands. Um, we, you have these moments in life, and if they're traumatic or if they are um, less than pleasant, over the years you kind of bury them. And, you know, I'm 30 years old, I'm doing just fine, got my little wife, got my little house, about to get me some little kids that I love. There's not really a need to worry about what's over here. Um, but this wonderful organization came in with a 40,000-pound excavator, and they just looped right into all that stuff and brought it back and set it on my doorstep for us to sort through. Um, so we, we really dug uh, into the deep stuff, and, and like I said, um, about an hour in, I, I just, we got to talking about a few different pieces that, that it was just really uh, emotional stuff that, I mean, honestly, some of it, Chelsea, we were realizing Chelsea never even knew, and we've been married for, for five years, and we've told, you know, everything we could tell, we just, it's stuff that I'd, I'd buried, it's super freeing and healing for me to walk through some of that stuff. Um, anyways, the Lord, the Lord let me know in no uncertain terms that this is what I was supposed to speak on today. Uh, so here we are, and I'm super confident that at least one of you is here for this story this morning. It starts like this. Uh, when I was about four years old, when I was about four years old, Chelsea hates the, the sound of me gulping water. I'm a loud gulper. <laughs> I'll get in trouble for that later. When I was four, my mom and dad got a divorce. Um, I grew up in a real small town in East Texas. My mom stayed in the town. Uh, it was very amicable between the two of them. Uh, and they maintained a good relationship. But I stayed with my dad, okay? Uh, my dad and I were very, very close, super close. I'm an only child. Uh, everywhere he went, I went. Um, there, was, there was definitely... Um, Obviously, times he was working that I couldn't be with him, but I do remember when I was at a certain age, I mean, I, I would go to the job site with him, and I have this really good memory 
I got my first check for $10 in the late 90s. Okay, that was like $20 back then. And all that I wanted was 99-cent Hot Wheels. So basically, I got 20 Hot Wheels um, for sweeping up debris at one of Dad's job sites. I walked in with this old, this developer, um, older gentleman who was building these houses, and he turned around onto that big, giant typewriter. It's about this big, you know, the electric thing, and he typed me out a big, giant check. And there I was, John Smith, 10 bucks, just like Dad. He just got his big check. I got my big check. Um, I am giving you that story to paint the picture that we were close, and I wanted to be just like him. And uh, anyway, some time passes, and he got remarried. Let's just say I wasn't really a fan. Uh, We had a great thing worked out, the two of us. Um, I understand that I've agreed to, I'm going to take care of my kids, make sure they're nice and safe. We've got like eight, we're going to get like 18 of these car seats and whatnot where they're Make sure they're protected. I think these days they got airbags built into them. But I was riding shotgun at four years old, okay? Just me and the seatbelt and dad. I'm pretty sure I could get in the truck without his help, too. And in walks this person, and all of a sudden I'm in the back seat, and I gotta, it's a crew cab. I got to have some help getting out now. I got to have somebody get my door, you know? So I was put back into the, uh, the second rate there, and for some reason her son kept thinking that my toy guns were somehow his toy guns and had some disagreements there. But um, really, though, the, the relationship wasn't great. I don't have a ton of memories, um, and I'm, I'm getting somewhere with all this. Uh, I do remember this time where uh, my stepmom, and I'm probably five at this, six at this juncture, um, I had this phone in my room, okay, and I told you I was real close with my dad, but from zero to four, my mother's mother, my grandma, Nini, if I say Nini, that's who she is. Anytime I say the word grandma today, I mean my mother's mother. And my great-grandmother, my dad's grandmother, I was the only child for all of these people. I was extremely close with those two ladies, and obviously my mother. And, I mean, I knew... 655-8437 at like two years old. I was calling grandma, great grandma, and I had no problem doing that. I knew how to work the phone. I knew how to get to my people, and all of a sudden, I understand there was some drama. She probably had some, some reasoning. Um, there was undoubtedly drama. Uh, she had some reasoning, but either way, this new person comes into my house and takes away my phone that I use to call my mother, my grandmother, and my great-grandmother. Um, it all worked out because, uh, although that was, I learned, let me just say, I learned in my adoption training, that's what you call a traumatic experience. I had to learn for myself how to adapt. I kept a backup phone that she didn't know about, (laughs) and, uh, I was fine. Let's just put it that way. Um, but no, I'm going to use the word trauma, uh, several, several times here. I keep jacking up my screen. I'm going to use the term trauma, uh, several times here. And it doesn't have to be a, a physical nature. It, it, I had, it took me a second to like understand as soon as I heard him saying all this trauma early on in my adoption training. I was like, ah, this is just like, this is just life for me growing up, right? Like there's not, <laughs> it's just, just how it works. And that's really not the case. Um, as it relates to children, these things cannot seem like massive deals to us as adults. But when you're a child and your brain is still developing, it literally rewires the way that your brain forms over time. So when a parent adopts a child, 
you know, with X amount of years. I don't believe in, and I'll tell you today, I sure do not believe in this whole trauma lasts forever concept. And, you know, we've got to deal with this trauma. It's going to rear its head. Um, but I will say that you can adopt a, a, a child that may have had trouble getting food, right? So when they're manipulative to you over food, that's because they had trouble getting it, and manipulation is the only way that they knew how to get it. So you've got you've to work through that. It's a, it's a real thing you need, to, you need to work through. Anyways, um, these two were married. They divorced, uh, I'm going to say, around 11 years old. I am a little fuzzy on my, some of my years in, in this time, but Dad and I start fresh. Uh, he gets a new girlfriend. Um, this one's an alcoholic. She drank constantly, started early, finished late. At first, nothing really interfered with the status quo. Uh, it was kind of still me and him. They weren't living together quite yet. And, but he'd start spending the night over there at her place. And I, I don't know if I was 11, 12, 13. I can't really remember. But, you know, I'm at home alone all the way through the night. Um, when he would stay home, um, he, which was the majority of the nights, obviously, he came home. And he, but he wouldn't get up, and this was, a, this was an issue for him for, for years before I was this old. I was waking him up to take me to school, right? I'd show up late. Uh, the principal, who, I had, who was also my first class teacher, who was also a family friend from when I was a kid, was low-key disciplining me. He was just giving me talkings to because I'm late to school, and I'm like, I can't get this guy out of bed. What do you want me to do? I still got to swing by the donut shop. I ain't stopping. I ain't getting rid of the donut shop just because he's late. Um, priorities. Um, eventually, she moved in. Uh, I realized that she was picking me up from school with her mixed drink about 3 o'clock. Um, then the fighting at the house came between, of, between them. Never me. I thank God I, I never experienced any of that. I lived upstairs um, in the second floor. But, I, you know, I would come down and go into Dad's bathroom, and I'd see a, you know, a busted-out cabinet door that, you know, one of them had kicked or something, and um, just drunk people doing drunk stuff. So uh, that, was a, that, that was a very real problem with them. And uh, those attitudes started rubbing off on me. I'm telling you, I probably thought, I mean, I remember thinking she was cool a little bit, right? I'm a young kid up until this point in my life, um, the, the majority of life, I kind of did whatever I wanted. I never really had a lot of, like, boundaries. Um, and she just lit a match to that, I'm sure, right? There was just no, with her, I'm sure there was just no rules, and I, I thought she was cool. But the language, the bad behavior was undoubtedly rubbing off on me. Um, and after a string of issues, I don't know what it was, but I do remember being with my grandmother, I can see it right now. We're driving down uh, Highway 79. We're taking this ride. I can't remember the name of the street. And she, again, this is my mother's mother. We were very, very close. Even up to this point, she would take me to school. And, I mean, I was with her all the time, all the time. And she said to me, she basically gave me an ultimatum. She said, you can either come live with me and I can raise you, or you can stay with your dad and you can spend the, rest of, you know, spend the rest of your time with him. I will effectively not you know, be very close to you anymore. Because I can't deal, I can't sit by and watch you go down this same path. Dad had a drug use when he was in high school. Now he's with this alcohol. I mean, it's just, he wasn't going on a good route. 
He says, I can't watch you do that. Now, I don't judge that decision. Um, I, always, I make an analogy all the time. When you're in life, you're given, a deck, you're given a hand of cards that you're dealt, right? Whether you got yourself into a bad boat or whether you just, you know, walked into work and you got fired today and you weren't planning on it. You got a, you got a hand of cards and you can play it the best you can and that's all you can do, right? And pray. Um, so, in the best way she knew how, she, she gave that ultimatum. And I, it was obviously the best decision in, in that time frame. It couldn't have worked out any better. Um, that afternoon, I walked up the driveway and I met my dad. Uh, this, it turns out that this day, I learned much later, was, was quite the, quite the uh, traumatic event for me. I, I walked up the driveway and met my, met my dad, who was getting groceries out of the truck, uh, in a very happy mood. He was probably about to make dinner or something. And I told him, man, I just can't do this anymore. And it was a, it was a very short conversation. Here I am, 13 years old, looking at my 40-year-old father, who is, I mean, I love my grandma and I love my mom, but I mean, this is my dad right? We are, we are tight. Uh, we were always honest with each other. We did not, um, well, <laughs> I was honest with him most of the time, and I would assume, you know, he was honest with me, but my point is that extremely, extremely close, and here I was looking him in the eye and saying, um, I'm good. I'm out of here. I'm sorry. What, what you've got going on, uh, I talked about her, I said, I just, the, the booze, the this, that, and the other, can't do this anymore, I'm going to go live with mom, and I'm going to go live with grandma, and he, I mean, it was, you know, it wasn't angry or anything like that, he was broken, but I mean, there I was telling him that, right, that, that took a chainsaw to my heart, and I didn't realize that until I was much, much, much older, um, I'll note that while my dad and I were close, he struggled with commitment. And as I got older, after I lived with him, before I could drive, while I lived with him too, he has a very horrible concept of, of time, right? Um, Chelsea hadn't got to experience this, because these days I go to town, I say, let's meet for lunch, I'm going to take you to lunch, and he's usually there after we are, but it's within a 10-minute time frame. But back then... It would be a Saturday, and he's supposed to pick me up from Grandma's at 3 o'clock, and he shows up at 8 o'clock at night. There's 10,000 people in my town. I can get from one end to the other in 10 minutes. It's four red lights. So I don't know what you're doing all day long. He was working, I'm sure, some of the times. But either way, uh, just, a, just eroded the trust factor over time. Um, let me just, I wasn't going to say this, and I don't want to blow time, but let me rabbit trail and say that Trust is a, it's called learned trust. Trust is a learned behavior in children. All the way back to when um, a mom is holding their newborn baby or holding their baby on their chest, on their skin, and they're like sweating and they're cooing and all that stuff, that literally develops learned trust. So when you have a parent that just erodes at that trust, it affects you over time, and you have to deal with that a little bit later on, is what it is. Um, moved away, let me get back on track, moved away, lived with grandma in a nice apartment for a couple of years, and, and then I moved in, we moved in with mom, they kind of co-raised me, mom had gotten better, and uh, we were getting, you know, we were getting to be closer, and, and they were kind of co-raising me over a few years, growing up like everybody else, great friends, um, I turned 15, on my 15th birthday, we went to uh, have a biopsy done, which led uh, to a surgery, where they found out that I had cancer around the age of 15, um, in this surgery, they made a mistake. I'm not going to hang out here very long. 
in the surgery, they made a mistake, and I was kind of, it's like in an ICU kind of environment for a few days while they figured out what they had done, because it wasn't real clear. Um, this, this guy was very kind, but he was a little green to be doing just that, kind of bit off more than he could chew, and it took about six months for me to, um, me to get back to normal and then figure out pills and like how to do all this. And, and mom took six weeks off of work. And through this time, I'm, I'm through about a, a year span, I'm going and I'm going to MD Anderson and doing these things. I don't want to be overdramatic. I knew um, a, 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 at least two months into this ordeal that the cancer was not, praise God, going to be one that took my life. It was just something we needed to deal with, right? So I, I, I got to walk through that, had a bunch of physical therapy. That lasted about a year and a half. But during those first six months afterwards, I mean, I, I took a whole semester off of school. I couldn't do anything the whole summer. Um, I only passed, I only got through eighth grade because I went to a little private school and I passed. Um, still don't, that's why I'm not good with math, I guess, because I just, I mean, honestly, I got calculators all over the place. Who even needs that anymore? Um, my mother took six weeks or something like that off of work, and I, we already, like, didn't have a lot of money. I mean, mom's a social worker. It's us. It's, you know, she works for the state. Um, good insurance, praise God. But she, when she took that time off, we really developed a closeness, okay? So now I'm painting a picture for you that my mother and I are very close. Um, we, I mean, we were as close as, as, as two can be. Um, in my opinion, and very loyal to one another. Uh, she takes all that time off. Um, overall, I don't look back at this experience as being very traumatic. Again, I knew that I wasn't going to, you know, have to question death or anything like that, but I did know um, uh, that I could trust my mother, and I will say I, this also wasn't planned, but this whole, this whole story that I'm going to be telling you is about the faithfulness of the Father. And let me tell you now the faithfulness of the Father. Um, when I was in, when I was at MD Anderson, and I'm sure that y'all can identify with some of this, um, my doctor, my cancer, uh, it was very, uh, it's very easy to treat, okay? Very easy to treat. Um, surgeries, a little bit of radioactive iodine, no radiation, no chemo. But it's known for being a very recurrive, re recurring, recurrive, recurring cancer, and I had my doctor, who I know and trust, I, I refuse to see anyone but him, uh, but he, he looked at me, and he goes, you know, it's basically like guaranteed to come back, but don't worry, when it does, you know, we'll deal with it, and I used to like identify with that, like I was cool with, oh, it, yeah, and I would, I would literally, I mean, I remember being in college, and that would just come up in conversation, I was like, yeah, it'll come back one of these days, but whatever, and you don't have to listen to that stuff, man. Like, you don't have to just take that and process that and be like, you know, oh, yeah, for sure. No, like, I, I'm here to tell you the faithfulness of the Father. Um, Chelsea and I are going to go to a big dinner in the middle of October because it'll be 16 years and I haven't had the recurring piece. So my favorite part of your story is hearing, um, and I don't, I, I don't know a verbatim, but I remember... Um, in the, the first time getting this bad news, and I can just picture Chris then saying, he's like, no, let me tell you something, right? <laughs> let me tell you something. Um, anyways, I, 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 let me, I'd like to honor my mother and my grandmother here. Um, 
they raised me not only as best that they knew how, but they did a phenomenal job, right? Two, mom, grandma, neither one of them made a ton of money, and I was everything to them, and I still am. They love me. <laughs> they love me too much. They need to spend less time, less time worrying about me. Um, not too long after the cancer, my mom met a man. This man was in a small town in 2007, rich. Rich to me, at least. Not really rich. Um, we bought this big, giant house. We all know what high home prices are in Bernie, so let me just tell you. $350,000, 4,000 square feet, four stories, biggest pool I've ever seen, five acres, in the middle of town. And anyways, I'm still astonished at that because now 350 grand buys you not a very big home. Um, 2008 hit, right after that, same issue in that marriages hit, the issues in their marriage hit, coincidentally. All I know is that he had an affair with an ex-wife. Um, I remember sitting with my mom at the table at night. So my mother and then him got married. She sold her house, the only real equity and savings that she had to buy this home with him. They kind of went in together. Um, in my hometown, 350 grand is a big house, and it wasn't easy, easily going to sell whether or not there's people moving or not. And they start to lose the house, things are going down, affair, issue, and mom sits down with me and she's like, you got to understand, very close. She says, John, you know, this is what's happened, and, and I don't really know what I'm going to do kind of thing, right? Would you be okay if it was just us again, Right? And I'm like, hey, let's do, you know, I want to do whatever you want to do, right? I'm on your side. It's me and you. A couple of weeks go by. Now, I remember specifically us being at the table in the evening. Um, and it had, gotten, it had gotten much worse in their relationship. And here we are sitting at this, at this table, lights on, it's dark outside. And she says, um, she asked the same question again, but in a very real manner. Would you be okay if it was just me and you? Um, it would be a one or two bedroom apartment. Like, you know, it's going to be like that. Could you, would you, she's literally asking me if, if I can stomach going back to the, to, you know, not having a big giant pool, basically. And I was like, Mom, like, and I knew this guy was a loser. And I was like, Mom, it's, it's me and you against the world. Like, let's go. I'll do, I'm with you. We're a team. I'll do whatever you, like, I'm with you. I can go get a job. I can help out. Here I am. I can barely drive, and I'm telling mom, like, I'll get a job to help support us. Like, I'm in. Like, let's just go. Let's go. Let's go right now. Let's go. Um, a couple of weeks go by. I know that we are working through that, uh, and something happened. I, I don't know how, I don't care to know what triggered it, but I got a frantic call from grandma that mom was hurt, and I was ticked because I was hanging out with my friends. And Grandma picks me up. We race over there. Uh, there my mom was sitting on the back porch, and I learned later that she had taken 90 Xanax, 8 Darvacet, and 8 uh, Tramadol pills. Those are opiates um, in addition to the Xanax. She was coherent but very, uh, I mean, loopy, messy. Um, up walks the husband, and he starts off with, with some story, and I was obviously very upset with him. Closest thing to a fight I've ever been in. I big tall guy, but he was thin, and I, I remember just 
you know, pushing him, and, and he fell on the floor, and I was probably saying who knows what to him. Um, very upset, you know, what'd you do here, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I helped my mom get up out of the chair, and I took her over to the, um, I took her over to the car, and I raced to the hospital. I called 911, told them we were coming. I guess that's not protocol, because when I got there, the cops were there asking me why I was calling, and I had to, you know, I went through this asking if my mom was going to be in trouble, and sitting down outside of her back then you could go right to the ER room where they were and I'm sitting right sat right outside of this room on the ground with my grandma and we're talking um, and I hear code blue room such and such I'd watched enough law and order to know code blue means they come in with the machines dad let me watch R and order, law and order and predator and bad boys and got grand theft auto for Christmas Limited edition disc. Um, I'm not joking. Pre-ordered it. Um, I knew something was wrong, so I busted open the door, and I saw a very traumatic image um, of my mother there, vulnerable, um, nurses freaking out. They start, you know, rushing me out. I'm probably saying bad things and, you know, telling them, let me do what I want to do, and they kick me out, and all that good stuff. So, needless to say, quite the traumatic experience with my mother uh, just a couple of years after one with my father. Uh, mom got better while I stayed. Mom got better while I stayed with grandma over a few months in a facility. Um, took her up to Dallas, came and got her back. Uh, the final two years in high school were very standard, I would say. Mom remarried a beautiful man. Again, faithfulness of the father. They've been married since. It's over 10 years. This man loves her to death, listens to her talk. He likes to sit and watch Fox News all day long. She likes to sit and watch Fox News all day long like they are two peas in a pod. Um, he he uh, cares for me. Faithfulness of the Father, because when I met this guy, Rabbit Trail, the first time I met him, I was very disrespectful. Um, I wasn't mean, but, you know, a young man, you treat an older man with, with respect. I was very disrespectful because I had... I mean, I'd seen nothing but, out of my whole family, I had like one living example of a marriage that didn't end a divorce, right? And I mean, you know, anyways, faithfulness of the Father, they're still married, and they have a wonderful, wonderful relationship. Um, I graduated high school, followed my best friend to DBU, Dallas Baptist University, where's Jack Wooten? I'm missing Jack Wooten. You can come play if you'd like. Um, at DBU, the trauma really hit me. After my mini therapy session uh, with the, the lady from the nonprofit for adoption, I had a, a lot of emotion. I learned that this was me having a lot of emotions about my dad at DBU. Um, all through the time of high school that I told you about with cancer and all that, up until this point, dad's been getting arrested stuff like that, like drug paraphernalia, you know, dude's cooking meth, and I'm like, I'm over here in college, here I am with a full ride to a very beautiful school, um, and I just, I just break, like, I just, I break. A, a lot of it has to do with uh, mom and remembering what happened, and a ton of it had to do with dad. Um, he, I just, I drank and drank and drank and partied and partied and partied, uh, 
I felt like if I stayed in town, I could have helped him, that kind of thing. Like, I definitely could have gotten a job. Like, maybe I could have stayed and helped. He wouldn't be in this boat. Um, and I just I drank myself through two years, and I drank myself out of a full ride. Um, I didn't want to be sober, and, and finally I woke up from that. Grandma had been praying my whole life, Nene had been praying my whole life, that I would have a deep and personal connection with our Heavenly Father. She told me the other day, and I... Um, I had to, and I got to enact this for the first time, praying for our children, um, who I do believe I know who they are. Um, but she said, I've only ever had one real prayer, right? And I always get her on the line, and I want to talk about how work's going and tell her the fun things we're doing. And she goes, of course she's prayed for those things. She prayed for Chelsea for all those years, but she says, I've only ever had one prayer, and that's that you would know your Heavenly Father and have a relationship with Holy Spirit, and that He would guide every decision that you make. That's all that I care about. And praise God, I got to pray that over our kids. I'm over here, I'm pretty confident socioeconomically that, judging by what I hear, they'd been in a better boat no matter what apartment I lived in, getting love from me and Chelsea. Um, but with or without what we want, I've got to pray that over my kids. Like, no matter where they are, no matter whose they are, that these kids that I care so deeply about will know their father. That's the only thing i got to pray for. Um, Grandma, I've been digging that well. Here's the deal. I got up, okay? I took action. I realized I had just blown, a, I still had a half of a ride, um, I'd blown through 50% of the scholarship, and I, I got up out of that well, and I said, I can't just drink myself to death. I can't just do this all day long. I started drinking from the well that my grandmother was digging instead of the well that I had been digging. And I'll say this, if you're here today, and, and, and you're constantly fighting, being depressed over the situations in your life, constantly looking at the glass half empty, all right, constantly wallowing in the spirit of depression, I'm here to tell you that you're a, drinking from the wrong well, and B, that you have the power of Christ in you right now, given by him to you, to stand up and not take that from any spirit anymore. Where's Chris Webb telling me all about that this morning? It's not luck that you're surrounded by a church this morning that will stand with you and pray with you, declare, that's a step, declare that freedom, cast away that enemy, and celebrate with you. Here's the deal, we're not a captive to the spirits that come against us. And our acceptance and understanding, my acceptance and understanding of my kids' trauma, whatever that might look like, that is, 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 a, is a real thing. It does not equal an agreement with the spirit that wants to make trauma the final word. And finally, I was introduced to this beautiful woman named Chelsea Claflin. When I sat next to her in class, she knew who I was. My reputation preceded me. And let's just say that thanks to her wonderful, wonderful raising, she was not very impressed with my reputation. <laughs> I remember sitting there and talking to her, and I can't say that I knew that I'd marry this one, but I can tell you, as sure as the sun rises in the east, I remember sitting in that class and talking to her, hearing a pure heart, someone honest, kind, classy, which I was 
not used to meeting with the girls that hung around my friends, smart and beautiful, I knew that this was the benchmark for who I would marry. That none of that other stuff that I had been witnessing was, was what I wanted. I wanted this right here. Um, made matters worse, some doofus kept trying to sit in my seat next to her. Um, but, unfortunately, unlike him, I was willing to skip the class before and drop it. So I just made sure I made it there on time. I mean, honestly. Um, we fell in love, didn't know what love was, and I was still, although I had done much better, I was on a much better path, I was still very worth dumping, and so that's what she did. She dumped me. And uh, uh, after about two years, LaDonna gave Chelsea an ultimatum. Two years go by. Um, and LaDonna said, Chelsea apparently had thought about me every day. I, of course, had, had thought about her every day. That's a different, different story for a different day. But LaDonna said, Chelsea, either stop talking about him to me or call him because I'm tired of running around in circles. Um, so praise God, she called me. She called me, and we are now married uh, five years in February. will be five years. So faithfulness of the Father there. I want to break down the faithfulness of the Father in all of this because... While the raising wasn't perfect, he never left me. When I was going down wrong roads or, or not paying attention, he was right there with me. When I was faking it in church, worshiping with 90% of my heart, he was right there. When I was uh, abandoning our relationship with him, his spirit was there still calling me home. When I was in a bad relationship with dad, not knowing how to navigate things in my childhood, he was right there with me. At the cancer hospital, he was there. In one house, he was there. In another house, he was there. When I was drinking my life away, he was right there physically protecting me. Physically protecting me. There is a reason he has walked with me my whole life and been such a great protector when I deserved none of it. I'm telling you all this to show that the Lord's faithful, to show the Lord's faithfulness in my life and our life that his goodness never runs out. And that if you are still here living and breathing today, that you have a purpose for your life. And that every breath we take is literally a gift from the Father. And if we're alive and breathing, we've got some work to do. Specifically, I'm seeing his faithfulness like this. I did not grow up with a single solid example of a husband to look at in my family that I was close with at that time. Today, I'm five years in a marriage with a woman that the Father set aside for me in this life. It hasn't been easy in some ways. In fact, we've walked through some times that were quite challenging. They always say, marriage isn't easy. And I said, well, I'm in love. Here's the deal. While I didn't have a dad that was a husband to look back to, I had a story and a heavenly father to look back to. Two pieces that helped me very clearly understand the difference between commitment and covenant. Which is why I can assure you that we will be together until the Lord calls one of us home. Hopefully, I'm like 120 years old and we've had a good long life. Uh, you guys know that we are adopting. Personally, I believe we know who we are adopting. Based on multiple confirmations of the Lord. Crazy things that I can't explain and I, I won't try to. But I believe the Father that either these are my kids 
or he has a bigger plan and a sense of humor that I cannot quite get. We'll figure that out in two days. <clears throat> Here's the deal. I have very, very few examples of how to be a good dad. There's not much that I can recall of my dad other than teaching me to tie shoes and a couple other things um, to how to be a good one. But what I can do is look at these unique kids that we're going to adopt with their individual backgrounds and needs. Short lives full of trauma, specifically much of the trauma that I had or can directly relate to. A lack of understanding for trust for adults. Part of that being misaligned and understanding commitments. All kinds of trauma with mom and dad that I've talked to you about today and a half a truckload more. Trauma from parents using illegal drugs. Trauma from emotional issues. Navigating how to understand parents making decisions on their own while we're left as children on the sidelines with no idea what our place in this world is. I can hold these kids close and I can show them trust, commitment, and unconditional love for the very first time. And I can do this in a way and look through a lens that someone who doesn't have a story like mine, they simply cannot do. I'm saying that if I had to go through those days and nights of confusion and hopelessness a thousand times over, knowing that there's one of me and multiples of them, that I would do it again and again and again because that is purpose. Divine purpose. Unfolding right here before my eyes. Divorce, suicide, trust, drugs, arrest, sickness. Every road that I've walked on and learned from, I can use for the betterment in my bloodline, impacting kids that weren't even born from my wife because years ago, separately, before we even knew each other, he gave us the desire to adopt a sibling group and here we are facing a whole family without parents who needs help from the exact perspectives that I have lived. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness and purpose in every moment. We don't have to be on our deathbed at 90 years old to look in the rearview mirror and see purpose and faithfulness from the Father in our life. The Lord's been faithful my whole life. Every season that I walked through, He was there. Taking the bad decisions of others and weaving them into a story that prepared me to be the husband and father that He knew would be needed for the life that He laid out for me. He is worthy of everything that we can ever give Him. This faithfulness is all around us. It's in our wife, it's in our kids. And I can assure you that I didn't think he was faithful in some of those times. I'm lucky that I guess I get to look back at this age and think of that. He's worthy of everything we can give. Let's pray, and I know these guys are going to lead us in one more song.
Heavenly Father, we bless you. We honor you, the existing one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are faithful. You are faithful. Your faithfulness never fails. You have never failed. You are a firm foundation. You are a loving Father. The only thing that we can give you is a hallelujah and a pouring out of our lives at your feet, saying, use us however you wish. We honor you, Jesus. Jesus. 